0: And as you saw in that video, these are people who, real people who got to know some folks in our congregation through whatever their connection was, and over time they began to uh, become curious. Trust was built, and they began to get curious about, um, what does God really say about my life? And, and all of those people connected with God at different points. Some was a real short period of time, and others took several months, even over a year, to, for people to come to know Christ. And so, and that's just, it's a real process, but... Um, trust is was one of the issues that came up in this video and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And But has anybody ever been a door-to-door salesman? Anybody ever had that job? We got one. We have one, door to to two, three. Okay, we got it. four <laughs> slowly people. Nobody was like, "Yep, me. I'm <laughs> I wonder why that is. You know, that's probably got to be mo- one of the most difficult jobs to do. I mean, it's that's a pretty difficult job. It's a difficult way to make a living, isn't it? For those of you who who've done that, pretty difficult way to earn a living. Yep. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter if they, you know, if they've got a great product, you know, they got some really flashy merchandise, nice clothes, dashing charm, you know, they can say everything nice to you. It's really difficult to spend your hard-earned money on something that you're not sure if you can trust from somebody you don't even know from a perfect, complete stranger, um, although it does happen. Who, now, who has bought from a door-to-door salesman? <laughs> okay, the, the numbers go up. It doesn't happen all that often, but once in a while, you know, I have bought from uh, a door-to-door salesman. Sometimes it's been a, a little kid, and they're selling candy, and uh, um, I, I found it interesting this week. Some A girl came up, knocked on her door. And um, she was raising money. And she just was raising money. (laughs) She wasn't selling anything. (laughs) And I I was just like, well, so tell me about this. Well, no, I'm just, I'm raising money. And um, I've already got my family to give me some. (laughs) And I was just like, well, okay. You know, and I'm just like, I really don't know you. And I, you know, she wanted me to, yeah, she wanted us to contribute to um, the fact that she's doing good in her life. And I was like, (laughs) I... I couldn't, you know, necessarily say she wasn't, but I couldn't say that she was, and so, um, but you know, I've also, I bought some things from some people coming to my door. I bought candy, I bought, I even bought a vacuum once, and for those of you who've had that vacuum experience, you know, you probably know what I'm talking about, you know, when they start sucking, like, you know, things out of your mattress and, (laughs) and, and, and your, and your couches, you're pretty willing to buy anything from them, because, you know, they scare you with all the things that they tell you about what could be inside of your, your stuff, and so, um. But oftentimes, you know, a salesman comes to my door, and it really, I kind of, you know, I'm trying to not spend on impulse like that. And so I'm really thinking, okay, I just need to stand my ground. It's my house. It's, it's you know, I don't have to do this. It's my money. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I'm really thinking, I don't know you from Adam, so why, why would I buy this from you, you know? And, and why on earth would I, tr- would I trust you? This really correlates to sometimes how when we share the faith that we have, how sometimes it comes across, I think. Um, as a pastor, there's been many times where I'll be having a conversation with something about my faith and about what I believe and, and just, you know, sharing some things, and I can almost read their mind. It's like, I am not the least bit interested in what you're saying to me right now. And, and I'm thinking, it doesn't even sound like they can understand the words that I'm saying. You know, it just seems like that we're missing each other here. And, and why is that? It's because of this issue of trust. Why should they really trust me if they don't necessarily know me? Uh, we live in day and age where, you know, trust is usually earned. It's not just automatically given to people. And so it begs the question, why Why should I even share then? You know, I think sometimes we, we you know, we, we've been given a, uh, a responsibility. If we walk with Christ, we follow Him. We looked at this last, I, I think, three weeks ago, how we've been called to be His witnesses. God says, you know, Jesus said, you're to be my witnesses. We're not to be his attorneys, beating people up with the, with the truth or trying to convince and always just trying to uh, you know, win the argument, but we're to be witnesses, sharing what has happened in our lives, sharing the story that God has, has given us, and even sharing what the Bible says. But oftentimes we get doing that, and the issue of trust is raised, and we, we, we think, man, I don't know if I have enough trust to share. I don't know if they're going to believe me. And so why should I bother sharing? And uh, we let ourselves off the hook because of this issue sometimes. So I want to look at this whole issue of trust to try to unpack what the Scripture says about... Because Scripture gives us some clues on how to um, develop trust in, in a normal way. And because uh, you have to ask a question, how, how is it that this movement known as Christianity, how is it that this thing has spread like wildfire, wildfire as it has? I mean, it really has just taken off... Um, And it's it's certainly, the issue of trust has been a major part of it, and I want to look at this together. You've got a listening guide, if you like, you can pull it out and follow along. Um, In the first century, the the Bible was not as we know it, so um, God's message, this wasn't all written completely in the first century, it was still being written, and the Old Testament had been written, but... You know, people like you and me, common folk, did not have access to their own personal Bible. And so God's message was moving life to life. It just went from one life to the next life to the next life. As people shared their lives with each other, it moved life to life. And that still is how the message moves. What you heard in that video was it kind of transferred from life to life. You you didn't really hear anybody say, you know, um, it was those amazing messages or it was was that, you know, because it wasn't because it's it's life to life. It's as people observe other people as they get close to others and that makes a real uh, important uh, difference in people's lives and a real impact in our lives. So, let's look at this together. Connecting with God is a process. That's the first thing I wanted to look at. How connecting with God, coming to Him, is a process. It's not just a one-time event. In the first century, people generally trusted other Christians, and over time they became curious, and then over time they became open to change. Um, they got close to them, and that led to many people connecting personally with Jesus Christ. They decided to yield themselves to Him as the Lord of their life. That's the way the message moved. But curiosity doesn't usually happen until trust is built with another Christian. And so, um, but this is a process. You know, it took time for people in the first century. To become Christian. Now, some people certainly responded to a message. Um, God did some amazing things in the first century. As you read the book of Acts and you just see the way that the message moved, I mean, you had some times where thousands of people responded on the spot. God's Spirit was really moving in people's hearts, drawing them to a point of decision. Um, but as you read the letters, as you read Paul's letters, the way that the message moved outward from Jerusalem, it really has this life to life feel about it. The message was moving. From home to home. And everyone here in this room is you're somewhere in the stage of, of committing your life to Christ. You're you're in the process. Now you may be just investigating right now, but you're somewhere in the process of getting to know God better. And you've either decided to follow Christ, you've already decided I, I want to begin a relationship with Him, or you're or you're just kind of starting out. You're you're learning about Him, you're investigating, you're watching the lives of other people, and you're somewhere along in this process. And if you have come to Christ already, you decided to follow Him as, as the Lord of your life, then that process may have included a church service. It may have involved um, lots of friends. It might have involved a crusade. Maybe you attended some sort of a crusade event, and you surrendered your life to Christ there. Maybe it was just positive interaction with parents. You know, you had parents who took God seriously, and you had a really good relationship with them, and they helped you nail down your faith. Um, others of you, you may have come to Christ by having a real heart-to-heart talk with God. I talked to a guy recently, driving down the road, he said, I just had a heart-to-heart talk with God, and that's what helped me nail it down. Now, there's other things involved in that process, but you know, decision came from that conversation. Maybe it's a combination of all those things, or maybe there's some other things that I haven't mentioned, but if you have already decided to follow Christ, then all of that process culminates in a decision point. You've decided, if you have, You've decided at one point to say, okay, I'm no longer going to be in charge of my life. I'm gonna, I receive Christ as the one who, is, who has saved me, who's made a way for me to connect with God, and now I hand over control, leadership of my life to the Lord, Jesus Christ. I, I want to go His way in life. I no longer want to try to do life my way. That's essentially what it means to become a Christian. And, but I really want to focus on this whole issue of trust. This is one key issue that's that's very, very much important part of the process trust. If you're if you're in that process, you've not decided to follow Christ yet, then trust for you right now might be a major wall. You know, the message makes sense, like what it means to become a Christian, that makes sense cognitively. Um, you've heard some stories, but um, it's just there's this wall of trust. You're like, you know what? Why should I make this decision to follow Christ and really make Him the Lord of my life if Everybody I know around me who claims to be a Christian, um, their life doesn't match up to that. So maybe that trust is a wall for you because you felt like, you know, I keep getting close, but it's the lives of other Christians that deter deter me from really connecting with God. That might be where you're at today. So um, in the Bible, though, you see distrust to trust over and over. People moving from distrust to trust. And so what God did, God set a pattern. He set something in motion in Jesus Christ. He stepped into history and he incarnated himself or he became flesh and he came right alongside. Look at John 1.1. We looked at this last week, I think. It says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So there's this, there's this figure known as the Word and then in verse 14 we learn, we learn more about who this character is. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John, the writer here, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's saying, we've seen him. He, the word who was with God in the beginning, who has existed for all eternity as God, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. This is known as the incarnation. That's the doctrinal or theological statement. The incarnation God, he incarnated himself. Literally, the, the word, um, to make his dwelling, it actually means to pitch a tent. So he, he like, set up camp in our, in our world. He decided, I'm going to go and reside with my people so that they could really get to know who God is. Essentially, who, who he's saying, who I am. Jesus would be saying, they, they will get to know who I am because he came to live with them. Now he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to incarnate, or he didn't have to set up camp right in our neighborhood, but he did this. He chose to connect in a very close and intimate way with his people. And what this does for us is it points the way that we are to connect with others. We are to we are to set up camp in a sense, we are to we are to connect closely. We are to dwell with each other so that other people can come to know Jesus Christ. We are to allow people to get close enough to our lives to examine who we are, how we live, what we do, because that makes a real impact on people's lives long term. That is what builds trust. And so the scripture gives some pretty clear um, patterns. So I want to look at five patterns that help us build trust. And um, as people, you know, encounter these things or as, as things change, they're able to ...move past this major, major threshold. So the first one is prayer. Prayer is really the the starting point. It's just praying for other people. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 really gets into this. But even in a general sense, we're told in any situation... ...whenever we don't know what to do... ...in 1 Thessalonians we're told to pray continually. When we don't know what to do in all situations... ...we're to give thanks and, and to pray continually. And so this is to be a part of our lives anyway... Colossians 4.3, we get from Paul. He's, he's in a Roman prison and he sends this request to a church. He says, he says and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So, apparently the door was closed. He's saying there's, there's people that needed to hear this message, but the door was closed. There was this issue... This clues us into the fact that there really are barriers that prevent people from coming to know Jesus Christ. There's closed doors. People close their lives off from others. People close their beliefs off to others. And so Paul is saying, hey, pray that God would open the doors in the lives of people so that the message can really go forth. And he's like, hey, I'm in chains. You know, please pray. This is an important matter. I wouldn't be you know, imprisoned if it weren't important to God. And so Paul, his life is on the line. He's saying, let's pray. You know, as I came to Christ when I was 18, this was a major part of me coming to Christ. My parents, I had been raised in the church. My dad's a pastor. Um, but I just did my own thing in life. Walked my own, just walked my own way. And my folks, and you know, were going a different direction. And in college, my dad would constantly call me and he'd say, you know, hey, I'm praying for you, Josh. You know, how's it going? He'd get to know, get an update on college life and everything, and he'd just always say, hey, I'm praying for you, Josh. And I would be like, yeah, Dad, thanks. Yeah, Dad, thanks. And this kind of became the pattern. Yeah, Dad, thanks. And But he and my mom really did pray for me in those years when I was kind of searching for who I was going to become, trying to figure out answers in my own life. And I don't exactly know all that went on in the spiritual realm, behind the scenes, as God was answering those prayers i don't i didn't i don't understand it all but god was doing something through those prayers and i began to ripen up there was people involved in the process but i began to ripen up and i know that prayer had something to do with me deciding to really follow christ and to take him seriously and maybe for you this has been a big part of it people were praying for you maybe others even said hey i'm praying for you and and you're like oh i'm 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 being prayed for what does that mean you know um Essentially, people are just praying to, you know, taking, taking you and, and praying for, for your life and wanting to help you come to know Jesus Christ. And, you know, I look at it now and I'm really grateful for the fact that my folks did that. and Other people probably were as well. Um, but this is a starting point for building trust is begin to pray. And the second thing is learn. You see this. Jesus was the master at this. He was the master learner. He took time to learn about people. And we get some interesting stories in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All those four books, they talk about the life of Jesus. And we get to see the way that he interacted with people. Um, but Jesus, he really took the time to learn about others. We, we like to ask questions, or we like to talk. We don't generally like to ask questions. You know, Generally, we like to talk and talk and talk. At least I do. You know, I like to talk, and I like to dominate the conversation, and talk and talk and talk and talk. Well, Jesus, he took the time to listen. He took the time to learn and sometimes he wants us to just take a step back and to begin to ask questions and learn from the example he set. All of us struggle with the whole talk and talk and talk because we're all born with this inborn pride, all of us. We have it till the day we die, scripture says, that until we die we're going to have this self-praising side of ourselves. We believe we're, we're deserving of more than others. We believe we're pretty much the most important person in this room, you know you know that's that's a thought that goes through our head and you might be thinking no he might but i don't but the scripture really says this is the case that we all have to battle pride for the entire you know for the entire life that we have we're just going to deal with this and so we have to stuff down the pride and just to be interested in other people to ask questions of other people to learn about their lives look at the example that Jesus set in uh, mark 5 21 through 35 says this, says, when Jesus had, he had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, there was a large crowd that gathered around while he was by the lake. So there was always these crowds of people following Jesus' ministry because he was doing things. He was healing people. He was taking care of people. Then, verse 22, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So Jesus really couldn't get anywhere without the crowds. Even when people were demanding his time, there were still crowds pressing in on him. And it says in verse 25, so he's headed to to heal this little girl, this dying little girl. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she fell in her body, or she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see, you see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Interesting story here. Jesus is on the way to heal one guy, guy's daughter, he encounters this woman who'd been bleeding for years and you know, she's hurting. And he doesn't just brush her off. He doesn't he's not like locked in on where he's going. Sometimes, you know, I've got a task on my mind, I've got something I'm task oriented kind of person. So I've got something on my mind. Some of you are wired like me. You know, I'm just locked in on my objective and it's like a mission. It's a target in a sense. And and then people come up and, and this is this peripheral peripheral stuff going on. And I, I kind of see it, but I'm not quite aware of what's going on because I'm locked into my task. I'm locked into my goal. Some of you are wired in the same way. Others, you know, people come up and you're like, oop, you're just constantly just like a bobblehead, you know, bobbling around, and you're, you're able to manage all these relationships. Um, but Jesus, it's interesting. He stops what he's doing. He deals with this lady who's been bleeding. It, you know, it's interesting. He leans forward towards her with all his attention all his care and he focuses in on who she is. And you can only imagine the disciples. You know, they're probably like, Jesus, we got this girl that's dying. We gotta go. We need to be there right now. Jairus is probably like, What are you stopping for? I just told you my daughter's dying. This lady's not dying. I mean, Jairus is probably pressuring him, the disciples are probably pressuring him. So much to the shock of everyone in the crowd, Jesus takes the time to listen to her whole story. It says that in verse She's able to in verse thirty uh, you guys can help me out thirty three told him the whole truth the whole truth generally takes a little bit of time you know the whole truth doesn't mean you know I'm bleeding, I needed to touch you it it really meant <laughs> it it really that came out wrong but <laughs> <laughs> but the whole truth, it generally means, you know, let's hear, the, let's hear the details of this. And so Jesus, he really did. He pressed in to listen. And that took time. <clears throat> there was a deeper need that Jesus saw in her life that he addressed. And, and that's, a, that's a pattern that he's laying out for us. There are deeper needs in the lives of people around us. Those that we love, those that are nearby us, they have deeper needs. And we have to take the time to learn, to let them share their whole story. Because if we don't take the time to listen to their whole story, we miss them. We miss an opportunity that God may be wanting to use for us to care for someone, for us to take time for someone. I think for me, sometimes it it, it translates into me thinking, me talking to someone and just, hey, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going? And I, I'm, you know, if you're like me, you know, and you get asked how's it going, I say, it's good, thanks. You know, and you just kind of can keep walking. But, that question, how's it going, probably not the best question to really learn about someone. You have to ask more specific questions. So as we're getting to know people, learn to ask questions. And so Jesus, he, he saw this lady not as um, not as an interruption, but as a real person with real needs. People aren't projects. And so we need to learn to, to be learners in, in the way that we do relationships. You're probably wondering what happened to Jairus' daughter. Jesus, um, he, he healed her. See, Jesus was still able to, to, to raise this girl from the dead, and so he did. Um, he still cared for the need that Jairus had and his daughter had, but he took time for this other lady. So there's this whole habit of learning that I think is, is an important thing. The third thing is this. The third habit is bond. As we get to know other people, to bond with them. This is, again, what we saw in the early church. Paul describes this strong bond that he had with this church. And he writes in the letter of 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because this really captures a pattern of the way we try to do ministry in our church. It says in verse verse 8, it says, We loved you. He's talking to a church. He's saying, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. You know, it was more than just dropping a message on them. Now, the message has power enough. The message of Christ has enough power to change our lives. God doesn't need to use us, but He chooses to use us to reinforce what is true and to reinforce what He's trying to communicate. We are His message bearers. We looked a few weeks ago about how God says, called one, or how Paul called one of the churches. He said, you are the message. He said, the way you do your life, the Word is getting around about you. You are the message. We, we have this powerful message that we bear and so as we bond with other people as we get time with other people this goes beyond learning but it takes the, it takes the next step to now I'm going to spend time and getting to know other people and letting them get to know me what this does is it allows people to see purpose and meaning in our lives and be able to to get up close again that's what you saw in the video as as the people from our church here who came to know Christ it was because it was because they got time with others they bonded they did life with other people who walk with Christ and that's the way it should be that's the way it ought to be. How do you do life together um, how do you do your life? I think the big question is just asking yourself what do I do with my normal life Some of you are are have certain hobbies that that means bring others along in the way that you do life in your parenting in the way that you in, you know in, in the way you interact with your kids, bring others along. Allow people to get up close to see how you do life because that communicates a great deal about the God that we serve and the message that, that he's trying to, to pass on. It is in the context of real life that God's message can be validated and passed on. So that's bonding. The, third, the fourth thing is affirming. This is an interesting one and often scary for a lot of people. Acts 17 gets, gets at this. I'm not really talking about a golf clap, you know, like, you know what a golf clap is, right? A golf clap is just kind of a, you know, nobody's really, that's not really an affirmation um, of what you're going to, what we're going to look at here. Paul, he was in Athens, Greece, okay? He's in Athens, Greece, and he's addressing a group of people who were entangled in extreme idol worship. And it, it, it kind of ticked him off. You, you read this early on in this chapter. We're not going to look at that. But he's looking around and he sees these idols that had been constructed to worship foreign gods. And he was kind of ticked off about it. Um, and he began, to share with, he began to share Jesus with people. And, of course, it drew a crowd. People were asking, who you are? Who do you think you are? And he's brought before a council who was in charge of the religious and educational system in Athens. And it says this in verse 22 through 23. It says, Paul then he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. And now what you worship as something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. And then he starts from there and this is what he says. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of heaven and earth and He does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human needs as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of the earth that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did, and he goes on and on and on. And he begins to talk about what God has done. And it leads him to the point where he's able to express the message. But notice how he affirmed their seeking. He affirmed, wow, he says in verse 22, I can see that in every way you are very religious. You know, they they were looking for something. They were searching for something to connect to on a spiritual level. And he started there. You would almost expect Paul to just blast them because it did frustrate him to see these idols. You read that. And you would almost expect him to just say, you know what, you're in violation of the second commandment, you know because there's a commandment about idol worship, isn't there? You would expect him to start there, but instead he says, you know, you're very religious in every way. And he starts with the the worship of idols to lead into a personal God who's close at hand, who wants to relate to them. But he starts where they're at. And many of us, we have such a hard time not jumping on people for their life practices. People do life different than, than, than you and than me. But we don't have to jump on them for the way that they do life that might be totally in opposition to God. And so in the Scripture you see there was sensitivity given to those who were in the process of coming to Christ. They weren't jumped on. They weren't put down. Now the religious leaders who were missing it, they were handled differently. The religious leaders who were prideful and arrogant, they they got an earful from from Jesus and from the followers of Christ, but those who are in the process of searching and seeking, God, you know, wanted His leaders to take time for them and to start where they were, and so He works hard to find a place to to launch into a message, affirming where they're at. And I think sometimes we get nervous about this, um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I do too. Sometimes, sometimes if I meet someone who's who's um, has extremely different beliefs and lifestyles. Sometimes I I get real. Uh, I don't know what to do sometimes in my in my conversation because I know, gosh, as soon as I get into a conversation with them and they find out what I do for a living, this could really isolate them from even want to go on in a conversation. So, I need to I need to think about how can I affirm who they are and the good that I see in their lives. And I think that's the thing is is affirming people for the good that you see in their lives, the character that you see that reflects. God's character, man, those, are, those are things that God is producing inside of them. So those are things you want to affirm in them. There's some dangers in this, in affirming others. Um, so I want to look at that before we wrap up. But the last thing is welcome. <clears throat> There's this process of welcoming people into your life. And you see this. Jesus, again, He, he gave people an opportunity to come up close to Him. Verse 35 and 39 of, of, first, or of John 1 says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. So even Jesus let others draw close to him. He said, hey, come and see. Come and see my life. On a welcoming, he was welcoming people into his world. And just saying, hey, let's, again, let's do life together. Oftentimes that requires an invitation. But what this, is, what this did was it created a curiosity over time so that people wanted to know what is this message? And that's what happens in our lives. As we share our lives with others, curiosity begins to grow as, as trust is built. Um, we can't just blow past the issue of trust because then people um, are not treated like people. But this was the pattern. And we we can never stop at just going into people's worlds to build trust. We have to invite them into our world as well. And I think that's the scary thing sometimes is we think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get to know others on their turf, but I'm never going to invite them into my turf. I'm never going to invite them to investigate or to become a part of of you know, things at our church or things that I do with my small group or whatever it is because we 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 want to separate that. But Jesus he he took the time to say, "Hey, come and check this out. Come and see." Who I really am. Here's here's three pitfalls you just want to avoid. The first is in your affirmation in the whole area of affirming others. Just steer clear from relativism. Relativism is um, believing that the belief that all roads lead to the same place, that all spiritual roads will eventually lead us to God. That's not what the Scripture teaches. Now, so you just in in your in your time with people, just beware. Do not confuse the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. If you get to know Christ and you, you see how God has revealed Himself in the Bible, you see that He does not um, claim to be one of many ways to connect with God. But he, Jesus said, I am the way. He, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. So it's an exclusive path. There's, he's saying, you've got to go through Jesus. That's what, that's what the message is. We've got to go through Jesus to connect with God. So be careful in your affirmation of others that you don't gloss over some of the things that the scripture says are, are, are true. As you bond, here's two pitfalls to avoid. The first one is don't compromise your character or your integrity as you're, as you're sharing life with others. Don't compromise on your character. One time my wife and I were, we went dancing with a, with a couple of good friends of ours that we'd been getting to know for a while and, uh, he invited us to our birthday party, to his birthday party, and they they were going clubbing, and we were like, I'm like, I haven't done a lot of clubbing in my days, but, uh, <laughs> and if you know me, you'll understand, I just not, I'm kind of stiff, I don't really move around all that well, <laughs> and so I hadn't been in a high school dance since, I mean, like my freshman year in high school, and so I wasn't really, and it didn't go that well as a freshman, and so I was really like anxious about this whole experience, so we go, and we're hanging out with my buddy and all his friends, and. We're out on the dance floor, and I'm like, seriously, I, I don't even know what to do. And Erica knows, knew how to dance, and I'm just like this goofy guy. And, and she's like, just look at other people. So I'm looking at other people, and I'm trying to just copy other people. And, and I saw this one guy who was doing this kind of thing, and I was like, all right, <laughs> I could do that. And another guy was waving his hand up. So I did different things, right? And, and uh, well, I hit this one point where I mimicked somebody that was doing something a little inappropriate. <laughs> and, I, uh, and Erica stops me, and she said, Josh. That 's out of line, and I was like you 're right, it is you know, <laughs> and I got back to you know what was what was right and but I think in your in your just you know as you 're interacting, you just have to you know you can 't compromise your character or your integrity because um, again that 's not the point of it, obviously, and so you don't you know and uh, i don 't know, you may have had similar situations like that where you realize, man. This I can interact only up until a certain point before I I need to stop because that would cause me to violate something that God says is a boundary for me as a follower of Christ. The last thing is really similar. Don't walk unwisely into temptation. And and this basically is just a, a be careful. Be careful that as you're connected, God loves all of us. Scripture says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten Son. So for everyone, everyone that you get to know, that God loves this this these people in our lives, and so we want to take the time to get to know them because God really loves them. But if you're married, there's some boundaries. If you're married, it's not the wisest thing to really get to know and bond with someone else who's of the opposite sex. That's just that's that's dangerous and it, it be, it's out of bounds. Because if you're if you're connecting and starting to share your life and you're married and you're connecting with someone of the opposite sex. That just opens the door for real, real tempta- tempting situations. Um, if you've got a problem with alcohol, you know you need to avoid tempting situations and environments where you're going to be put in a position where you're tempted. You know, if you're single, again you have to you have to realize there are some barriers or some boundaries where if I cross some boundaries, I'm going to I'm going to be putting myself in a really bad spot. And for all of us, it's slightly different, but there are some really tempting situations that we just need to avoid. So, I just wanted to draw your attention to those. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank You for Your love and Your goodness. Thank You that you, you loved us so much that You would send Jesus. And that He would live a perfect life and die a death that that made a way for all of us to know You. And Father, we, we are not... Um, We could never be grateful enough, Lord. We could never um, repay you for the good, you know, the way that you've just demonstrated your love for us, God. We could never, you know, we we just, we always fall short of what you've done, God. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we would return our love to you by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we live out our mission and our purpose, God. Thank you that you have... You've called us to be witnesses, those who will go and share our stories with other people who are in our lives and share our lives with them and and get to know them and care for them, to learn from them, to listen to them, Lord. And, um, Lord, that you would ultimately do real work in people's lives, bringing them to want to know who you are and connect with you. God, um, I know there are many here that that are in that process, God, that are searching. And, and Lord, I pray that they would um, ask the questions that they need to ask, Lord, and that they would investigate who you really are and, Lord, what your claims are. And, Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts, Lord, drawing them to the point where they're ready to surrender all to you. And, God, I thank you, Lord, for, for those that follow you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to build trust more effectively, um, to be really loving, God. I think that's the key to building trust is to truly loving other people. So, God, we ask you for the power to do these things because on our own we just can't. So we pray for your power, God, in Jesus' name, amen.